We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always my co-host Nick Filato. And sorry for the break. Did a little thing called vacation. I know, you know, it's not as common on this podcast for us to take a week off, even in the dead of the offseason for a team podcast. But it was vacation time for me. And I says, F it. I want to go on a vacation. So I went to Vegas, Nick. Had a great time in Vegas. Um, some interesting stories. I think the most interesting story for me went to Summer League, saw Victor Wimbignana from about four rows back. Pretty, pretty credible experience to see someone that he is massive. I mean, when you talk about what you think he's going to be in the NBA, like next LeBron, all these things, all I got to say about him is he is the longest player I've ever seen live on a basketball court or any field or anything. He's a true like seven, six, and he moves up and down the court so well. I've never seen someone that tall be able to move and have that kind of flexibility. He went down on the court multiple times, got right back up. Looked like, you know, when you see a big man with those kind of long legs go down, you're like scared every time something's going to happen. Greg Odin, like all the big men over, yeah. over the course of history. But he, I think he's different. I think he's built different, as they say. So it was cool to see when uh, the coolest story I have from Vegas, the most interesting story I wanted to bring up because it was it, it, it was definitely an interesting one. So uh, what day was it? I think it was one of the last few days I was there, maybe Wednesday or, or, or Thursday. I, I was I headed out to In-N-Out because every time I go to Vegas, I get In-N-Out and I get Raising Cane's because I can't get those fast foods by me. And the, and I'm not a huge fast food guy. Like I, I think Burger King, McDonald's, Wendy's, all that are crap. But like the good ones, like those two, for example, I always try to get so. I head over to In-N-Out, and for anyone who's been to that Vegas In-N-Out uh, in between the Link and, I believe, the Flamingo, you know that there's literally no seat in the house. So once you make your order, if you're trying to eat in and not dine out, you have to, like, scramble to find a table. And so usually there's, like, this counter space right by where, like, the, the condiments are that I set up on because I just know I can eat there. And so I set up on a counter space, and I set up that next to this lady, um, and she – she sits there and she has like all this stuff out, like a laptop, uh, multiple bags, and and there's like no room to put my food down or anything. She's like, "You want me to move that?" I'm like, "No, it's okay. I, I'll figure it out." So I sit down and she goes, "All right, it's I, I, I'm just a journalist trying to hide out from the players right now. She's there for summer league." So I'm like, "Okay, interesting. Uh, let me engage in this conversation with this woman and see where it goes because I like meeting new people, Nick. I tend mm. to do this a lot when I'm in public. I just like, or you know, when I'm out, I just tend to like engage in conversations. I like meeting people. I like hearing their stories." This woman went on to talk 100 miles a minute, per hour a minute. I mean, I heard everything about her, her life story, everything. She, It was the most insane story. I don't want to give away her name right now because 
there's some crazy stuff that's going on in this conversation. So first of all, <laughs> she's like banned. She's like uh, shadow banned from like YouTube and Twitter and Instagram and all this stuff. She has like things. She had told me all this in interesting things, but but she she's auntie to a, a player in the NFL, a high profile player who I can't bring up on the show. All this stuff to make it seem the reason the story was so interesting to me is I spent an hour talking to this lady and. You would think that, like, based on what she said, Nick, that it was like a lie and she was kind of like, you know, not all there in her head. And but she had the most specific details about trades and all these players she's covered and crazy stuff that I can't even bring up on this podcast about the Giants, about the Knicks. And like when you're that detailed, it can't be a lie. Like there were too many stories she had, like 15 to 20 detailed stories. And she could recall every single trade like that the Knicks have made that the Giants. She had recalled all this data and she had so much information in her mind. And she just kept talking and talking. I sat there listening. I probably got in like. 40 to 50 words. And you know me, I'm a big talker, but I got into like 40, 50 words total in an hour span, just listening, listening, listening. It was one of the most interesting experiences I've had in a while. One of the most interesting people just, I just want to bring the story up to say like, go ahead and meet people when you're out. Like when you're when, give people the time of the day, listen to their stories. Cause you never know. And it was like the most interesting part of my day and probably my week, just like meeting this random person. Um, and, and we follow each other now on social media. She wants to work with <laughs> Uh, and we'll see what happens because if she is connected to the player that she said she's connected to, I think we can maybe, you know, maybe get him on this podcast or, or something like that. So we'll see what happens there. But just, just, the, I don't want to give away the name too, because there was a lot of secretive stuff going on and, you know, she's been banned. She's a YouTube bander, like all sorts of interesting things. Like that. I had to go through a, I'll tell you how I know this. I had to go through a back page to get to her YouTube. Like if you search it on YouTube, you cannot find it. But then if you go to youtube.com backslash and then hit up a bunch of stuff, you can actually get there. So it's a very interesting situation based on the same thing for Twitter. You can't find her on Twitter, but if you go twitter.com backslash, like some other weird backslash, <laughs> you can get to her tweets. So there's a lot going on there. Um, but yeah, just want to bring that up to start the show. I'm very curious, Dan, what got this lady banned. Yes, you need to talk to me off pod. And if I implore you, if you can find a way to wiggle into her DMs in a non-creepy manner to get her on this podcast while we still have two weeks before training camp. And oh, if she, she wants, wants to come on this story, podcast, I told her that I don't oh. know about that. She wants to yeah, come on Okay, so it's that type of thing. All right, you can, you can, we can talk well, about that maybe off pod, but you built it up enough that I feel like yeah. our audience might be a little bit intrigued. It's a very intriguing situation. <laughs> we'll have to see. She's also connected to some players. So I hope to get them on the pod. We'll see what happens there, but definitely a cool random experience uh, that I had in Vegas, but let's get into the content. This is what I got. I got a couple of things again, and, yeah, and I'm going to compliment you here. Got a nice little base going on. You look good. Thank you, you look good, but we ruined that because we wore the same color shirts and I hope the YouTube comments are ripping us apart right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they will be for these basically the exact same shirt that we're wearing. Uh, you have a logo on it, but same color. And yes, I do appreciate that base. I, I'm getting very, very close to being tanner than you or darker than you, you say that almost every time you go to Vegas and it's so inaccurate, but <laughs> uh, it's okay. The Greek side's <laughs> coming out, baby, 25%. So, um, yeah, 25%. Don't 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 let it down. 23 and me, baby. So anyway, <laughs> let's get to the content here. So we want to do some fun things before training camp ramps up. We'll be talking all current Giants. And today, one of the things we wanted to do, uh, or th this week, one of the things we wanted to do was the biggest Giants draft steal since the 2000 draft. So that's a large sample size, almost 25 draft classes. Um, so before we get into this, I want to talk about the process we had for creating this and our takeaways from, from the research we did to create our top 10 list. So for starters... 
Nick and I do not share our lists on this. We like it better when we don't know who we're going to, you know, what our top 10 is. My process was I'm ranking these draft steals based on value. So round and pick matter a lot and positional value. So if you're a running back or an inside linebacker, you're not going to be valued the same as a corner, an edge, a quarterback, things of that nature. So that's my process. I rank it based on the pick they were drafted, the value they provided for the Giants, and the positional value. All three things are coming. So here's what I'll start with, Nick. My biggest takeaway from this process, and I don't know where yours is going to be, not a single player selected from 2008 through 2022, and obviously we're not going to call any of the recent picks draft deals. Let's say through 2020 made my top 10 list, not a single player. All 10 of my biggest draft steals were 2007 through 2000. And I think it's really interesting to look at that. And we might do another podcast that looks at biggest draft bust, Nick, but I think it might be interesting to look at that and say, well, yeah, the Giants won a Super Bowl in 2007. They were competitive in the 2000s. Their best team ever was 2008, but the, obviously the plaques shooting kind of killed that and some inj- other injuries. 2011, they won a Super Bowl on the backs of maybe those 06, 05, 07 classes still producing, still playing in the in their primes. Since then, the Giants have not been very successful and kind of aligns with this idea that they have not really found a single draft steal from 2008 through 2022. I took some liberties, Dan, okay. and the audience with, with my personal list. It's not necessarily always about value. I'll okay. explain the liberties as we go through it. I did 22 drafts, no UDFAs, and it was from 2000 to 2021, seven drafts for Ernie Accorsi, 11 drafts for Jerry Reese, four drafts for Dave Gettleman. It was kind of wild too, because the vast majority of the players, because I went through and I was like, who is eligible for this list? And I only had 15 guys eligible for this list. I'm not including players who didn't have an impact on the Giants, like Charlie Pepra and Kevin Walter and players who went on to have pretty respectable careers with other teams. Holy crap, man. From 2008 to basically 2018, there's like nobody. There's like two players within that. Like the Jerry Reese years were abysmal beyond the 2007 draft. So that's one takeaway that I had. Another man is just an absolute blast from the past. It was kind of crazy because there were other players that I, I didn't forget about, but I would like to forget about specifically a punter who caused one of the worst special teams mishaps in team history. You also had the JPP of tight ends and the goddamn bachelor was on this list. I'm like, ah, Jesse Palmer's here too. It was kind of cool just to see the names. And also bro, growing up, my dad would get me these like giant yearbooks. Did you have those as a I kid? I had those giant yearbooks, yes. Bro, I read those back to front multiple <laughs> times. So there were names that I would see, like Nick Grison, for instance, who was a solid player for the New York Giants, believe a Wisconsin guy as well. And I was like, ah, Nicky Grison. I was like, I haven't thought about that guy yeah. in so damn long. Those were my primary takeaways. Yeah, it was cool to, I, I agree with that. It was cool to kind of look back. I remember now the year that I first was interested in the draft just by looking back at these picks because just I have a vivid memory of the um, not Marvin Austin. Marvin Austin was the second one from North Carolina of the um, my, my William Joseph pick. When William Joseph oh, was selected, was I have a vivid, vivid memory of that draft pick, of everything about it, my excitement around it. Obviously, he was a bust, so was Marvin Austin. But those two interior guys from the ACC, I have a vivid memory of that. So that was kind of my first draft memory. And, and it just was cool to look back at that and see some of these other names as well. I mean, a couple of the guys who made my list, one who made my list, one who just missed my list, were were actually players who just I remember growing up and watching the earliest memories. I don't want to give away the names just now because we'll get into it, but um, just cool to go back through memory lane. And I think to the, the first point, Nick, it really is if you're looking for any kind of evidence, and we've said this a lot on the show, that 
you know, free agency can be a supplement to what you want to do. But in the end, nothing really matters. But the draft, the draft is exactly in everything about what, how your franchise is going to do. This is the best example, right? The Giants had horrible drafts from 08 through 22. They've been a bad, horrible team. They had great drafts from 2000 through 2007. They were a great team in 2007, 08. They were even a good team in the 2000s before they made that real run to being the team they were from 07 to 11. Um, and really it was just 07, 08 and 11, nine and 10 weren't great, but they were competitive those years. And obviously one of them was the Sean Jackson year. So that was like, it's a year they could have easily won the division. Um, so yeah, I mean, the draft is everything to, it, this is the, the most proof you can need that if you don't draft, well, you're not going to win. If you do draft, well, you're going to win. It's just simple facts. And it's not even just finding good football players. It's the cap element to this. Now yep. that we live in a free agent age, you get those guys under low cost type of contracts where they can just come in and you can just use them for those four years cheaply. And that's how a lot of teams have capitalized and won Super Bowls. And I would like to see, and maybe we'll do it next, uh, where most of the draft busts come from, our biggest draft bust from this period, because we can look <laughs> back at that. But obviously, you know, it seems likely they'll come from the 08 through 20 to, uh, through 2020 classes. All right, Nick, let's dive into this thing, though. Let me go with you can start here with your 10th best draft steal. So, again, we're ranking them 1 through 10. We're going to go 10 to 1. And the 10th is obviously the 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 late the, – the, how's the best way to frame this? The worst value, quote-unquote, of the best values. My 10th is actually Reggie Torbor. He was a fourth-round pick, a linebacker. 97th overall out of the University of Auburn, played four years with the New York Giants starting from 2004, and his last season with the Giants is 2007. And look, I understand he was more of a sub-package linebacker. This was back in the day when every linebacker was like 250-plus pounds. I believe he only started 18 games for the Giants throughout his career. I remember Reggie Torbor being out there on third down, especially when Steve Spagnuolo was his defensive coordinator and how he used players like Reggie Torbor on the blitz. He was a very physical type of player, somebody who could handle a lot of the responsibilities that was bestowed onto him. And remember a lot of these linebackers that he played with at that time, starting in 2004, I think he played a little bit with Brandon Short and Dahani Jones, also two really uh, quality linebackers who were drafted in 2000, both day three picks. Maybe we'll hear about them a little bit later, maybe not. But I wanted to put Torbor on here and it was a little bit difficult because I left off a player who I felt like may have had, and this is some of the liberties that I was talking about before, may have had a bigger impact than him. But Torbor was a part of the Giants when the Giants were the New York Giants that we all missed and the New York Giants that we all love. I had a linebacker who just missed this list, but he was not Torber. Uh, you made him, made him mention his name uh, previously, so I'm not going to bring him up because there's another linebacker who did make this list. But I'm going to start with number 10 here, one of the only three players, Nick, uh, from day two, quote-unquote, even though back then I don't even think it was day two. I think it, I don't remember how the draft used to go. It was all day Saturday. I think it was rounds one through three and then rounds four through seven on Sunday. So it's not technically day two, but... There were three players who made my list who were drafted in the second or third rounds. The other players were all fourth round or later. And Dan, our lists are going to be a little bit different because you did go the value route. I went with just day three guys, round four to round seven. Okay, and that's fair. We give a different perspective from that nature as well. Um, I just wanted to go pure value, though. So for me, actually, coming in at number 10 on my biggest draft steal is somebody who fits along those lines. And it's Corey Webster, who was selected in 2005 in the second round at 43rd overall. So it's very early for a value pick. But the reason I think this is a value pick is because Webster, who played a, ultimately played 121 games, had 20 career interceptions with the Giants, and more importantly, had the years, especially 2007, 
where he was just purely a lockdown corner. You can put on an island in a Steve Spagnolo man covered system. It's going to put a ton of responsibility on the corner and a ton of responsibility on the boundary corner to really hold up against the best receivers in the NFL. And he did that. And I just rarely see throughout NFL history since covering this league, guys who are taken at 43rd overall at cornerback be able to do what I just said. Play on an island, on the boundary, in a man coverage blitz heavy system. And the fact that Corey Webster was able to do that for a decent stretch of his career, probably a good stretch of his career when you look at just relative to the rest of the corners in the NFL and how few can even do that for one year, let alone have a four game stretch, let alone one year. I put him in there because I just don't see the Giants or many teams finding that kind of value at corner at 43 overall. And that goes to show how hard it is to draft cornerbacks, how hard it is to develop cornerbacks, where you can find cornerbacks in the NFL. There are just very few shutdown cornerbacks, even throughout the Giants history that have come in before and after Corey Webster, more specifically after Corey Webster. There were definitely some earlier than Webster. So Webster made my list at number 10. Not the best value of this list, but definitely a value, in my opinion, at 43rd. If I included round two picks, Corey Webster would easily be on there. I heard, and I don't know how true this is, but the Giants loved Corey Webster before the 2004 draft, but he ended up going back to college and they get him in the 2005 draft with their first pick after trading their first round pick to the Chargers for Eli Manning in the previous draft. But I like that pick a lot, man. Corey Webster, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but my buddy was a strength and conditioning trainer at Florida State. He called me one time and it was Corey Webster on like FaceTime. This is back in like 2012. So I don't even know if it was FaceTime. And Corey Webster was just flashing his ring at me. And I was like, yo, that's so cool. You know, he ended up following me on social media. I didn't even have Twitter back then. So it was whatever social media. And then once I got Twitter, Corey Webster ended up following me again. And he was like the nice. only like person, athlete, and somebody who was affiliated with the Giants who followed me, but eventually ended up not following me when I had like 300 followers. And I was like, ah, now I actually have followers. And I'm just like, ah, it's done now. He won't remember me. But Corey yeah. Webster has a place in my heart he's another one man where he started his career dan and it was rough i remember a lot of people were down on Corey webster and i think it was that bills game in 2007 if i'm not mistaken he might have had an interception in that game and that's when a lot of things started turning around right and ahmad bradshaw had yep. the long run that was one of his first impact games as well who came in at number nine for you nick Number nine for me, again, remember, I'm only doing day three picks, round four to seven. So it's Julian Love. Julian Love, and I get it. I'm a, I'm a fan of Julian Love. I, he was the glue to the Giants defense last year, played the most snaps for the Giants under multiple defensive coordinators. This was a player who handled every responsibility he was asked to. He was drafted as a cornerback out of Notre Dame, ended up transitioning more to safety. And then he just starts playing the slot, the nickel, apex, all that. And then now during what the Browns game, I think James Bradbury, was it? He ended up getting injured. They were like, all right, Julian Love, you're going to go out there and you're going to play. And he actually held up well playing cornerback outside. And I think yeah. he finished the 2020 season playing outside cornerback. And then he could play the post. He could play deep half. He can do whatever you really need him to do, operate in the box. The Giants selected Julian Love with the 108th pick in the 2019 draft, fourth round. No longer a New York Giant. He had an impact. I wish the team was better. Ended up being a captain his last year here. I think getting him in the fourth round was a, was a good steal for Dave Gettleman, which he had a couple guys who qualify for the list. There's another guy who's going to be on here as well, but Julian Love is up there with one of the best. Yeah, that's a good pick as well. I know you're a big Love guy, and so gl glad to get him in round four. For me, it was another round four guy coming in at number nine on my list from the 2006 draft, Barry Cofield at 124th overall in round four, the back end of round four. Barry Cofield is maybe a forgotten giant to some degree because they've had so many interior defensive linemen come through that have made an impact in the last 20 to 25 draft classes. But his career was really strong with the Giants. And overall, he played in 138 NFL games. 
He had uh, he had 138 NFL games, 19 and a half career sacks, but mostly more of just a run stuffing type interior. Uh, you know, your typical one technique defensive tackle back in a four three. You know, even front days of the NFL. But to get that kind of value, in my opinion, at a Northwestern and fourth round, I thought Barry Cofield was a nice pick at 124 overall and just made my list at number nine. Barry Cofield is on my list as well, and I'm trying to pull up the picture of his dance. Remember his sack dance? Oh yeah. Yeah, he took his like a taser and tased himself. That was like his sack dance. I think he also, no, Fred Robbins had the zombie walk. He did like the zombie walk up to the camera like every time. It was like perfect. But I just remember these big guy dances. I think Sexy Dexies is still the best. Barry Cofield's on my list as well. He comes in at six. I think you did a good job kind of breaking him down. And I'll go over him a little bit as well. Or do you want me to wait? Uh, you can go Cofield now and then we can we can move. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And Cofield is six for me. Played 2006 to 2010 with the Giants. Ended up going over to Washington. It's a player, man. He had... A, I think over 200, yeah, 211 tackles, according to pro football reference, in his time just with the Giants. 27 of them were tackles for a loss. Somebody who had one championship because he wasn't on the 2011 team, but I feel like he was a pivotal player for the Giants, had 10 and a half sacks through his several seasons with New York. So I, I'm glad that you had Cofield as well, even though you had some of those second round picks in there. But Cofield definitely made my list at six. All right, Nick, who came in at number eight, your eighth biggest draft steal? Eighth biggest draft steal for me is Kevin Antonio Boss, and that is his middle name. So I was a little surprised by that. Kevin Antonio Boss, Giants got him 153rd overall in the 2007 draft, one of the better draft classes in recent Giants memory, the best by far by Jerry Reese, which was his first draft. What he did in the Super Bowl to start the fourth quarter, you can never really forget that to catch up the seam in a, in a game that was played around the midfield, just a really defensive struggle. Start off the first quarter, Kevin Boss, this rookie tight end, ends up making that huge, impactful play. Kevin Boss had to step in when Jeremy Shockey got injured. That was a big deal. Because remember, Jeremy Shockey was the big personality at that time. Eli Manning, we all think of Eli Manning in the manner that we think of him now. But he was more of a, he had a lot of question marks surrounding. I remember the Vikings game where he threw four interceptions and everybody was like, this guy sucks. He's not his brother. Get rid of him. That was the same year the Giants won the Super Bowl. Jeremy Shockey was chirping a lot. He ends up getting injured. Kevin Boss has to step up and start for the New York Giants. Had that huge impact in the Super Bowl. And you can't forget the 2007 season. It's kind of reminds me a little bit of what Daniel Bellinger is doing now. I think it's a little different, but just a rookie tight end really seizing the opportunity when it presents itself, which isn't all that common. But Boss played 2007 to 2010 with the New York Giants, ended up having 208 targets, caught 119 of them for 1,600 yards with 18 touchdowns just with the Giants in those four years. So he was a really reliable target for Eli Manning as Eli kind of entered his prime. And the Giants did not end up bringing him back, resigning him. They ended up going with the Jake Ballards of the world and other tight ends. But I still think just that rookie contract that Jerry Reese ended up getting him on, and he basically used him to the fullest potential and he didn't really do much after that, which is a lot of guys on my list. After they left the New York Giants, their careers kind of fizzled out. So I did feel like some of the value that the Giants found in the latter years of Ernie Accorsi and the beginning years of Jerry Reese, they were able to get as much value from those day three picks. Kevin Boss is one of them. I'm going to go over another one here in a little bit. Yeah, Boss is a great pick. He made my list at number seven overall. I think with the with the case of Boss... It's really a big case of what if. Like once he left the Giants, it was just a simple situation to why he his NFL career fizzled out. Concussions. He had a serious concussion problem. He had multiple concussions, and eventually he retired because of the concussions. Had those concussions never been a part of his career, I think he would have been one of the better tight viewed as one of the better tight ends 
in the last 20 years. Maybe not 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 in that elite range, but in that second tier. And I'll tell you why. You get him in round five, 153rd overall to in the 2007 class. I can't remember a single tight end in my memory, at least of the NFL draft, who was a two-way player at 153rd overall. What I mean by that is Boss was a really, really proficient blocker with a great frame to block, and he could offer something in the passing game. You talked about the production there, red zone-wise, touchdown-wise, through the steam, the big catch he made in the Super Bowl. I felt like he could attack at all three levels, be a weapon in red zone, while also being that prototypical blocker type. And that's just something you don't see at 153rd overall at tight end. You don't really see that anywhere at tight end for the most part. Just so few two-way tight ends in the NFL right now. That's why we love, it's part of the reason we love Daniel Bellinger so much right now on this podcast, because we know the value of somebody who at the tight end position who can actually be a two-way guy that can block and be a weapon as a pass catcher. Because when you have that, you just are offered so much more as an offensive play caller and play designer because you can keep these guys on the field in all different kinds of personnel and they don't tip anything off. Like when Evan Ingram was on the field, you're kind of tipped off. You're going to pass the ball. You could try to run the ball, but he's a liability on the edge as a blocker. Can he, can he, you know, can he block down? And with a player like boss, that was never the case. And so I love boss. He came in at number seven for me. It's just too bad. He had all those concussions. If not for that, I really think his career would be a lot different, but for me, number eight, uh, on this list was a player I think you probably have a little bit further up. Another fifth round pick for the Giants. So, so far I've had uh, a fourth round pick, a second round pick, and two fives. And at number eight is Jabril Wilson for me. Number five, uh, fifth round pick, 136 overall, the 2004 draft class. So Wilson spent four years with the Giants and then cashed in after that Super Bowl in 2007, uh, as plenty of free agents do, by the way, uh, to try to get a big contract after that. And then kind of his career fizzled out. He had one year with Oakland, who gave him a huge contract. Now the Vegas Raiders, that back then Oakland, gave him a huge contract, didn't play up to it, got cut. Spent the next year with Miami, spent the next year after, and then was out of the NFL, and then went back to Cincinnati and couldn't make it there. I think injuries played a factor in that, but during his time with the Giants, he was a really, really impactful player. And the biggest thing I remember about Jabril Wilson was just how often, Nick, he was around the ball and how many plays on the ball he made. In just four seasons with the Giants, including a first season where he only started seven games, Wilson racked up 11 interceptions, which is a lot in four seasons. The Giants had like, what, one interception on defense all year last year? Or no, one pick six. How many interceptions did the Giants have on defense six. last year? It was like six. It was something very low there. And I like the last. Yeah, with the Raiders, ironically enough. With the Raiders. And that was uh, the whole team. So 11 interceptions, but also he had, um, let's see, 27 passes defense in those four years with the Giants, which I thought was interesting. Uh, six forced fumbles. He was just always around the football. And finally, in 2007, when the Giants won that Super Bowl, he was a big piece because with Steve Spagnuolo, you know, you're going to see a lot of single high looks. You're going to see a lot of two high looks with the safety rotating down into the box. And that safety attacking downhill was Jabril Wilson. And he did an excellent job of it. But he also made plays on the football in the back half as I just went over. So Jabril Wilson has a, has a place in my heart for sure. Uh, and he's number eight for me. He's number five, okay. Jabril Wilson, and similar to Corey Webster, I loved Jabril Wilson. I loved him when I was in high school, and my father bought me a red, on brand, red Jabril Wilson jersey because I loved the red jerseys. He ended up getting traded or ended up leaving, I mean, and yeah, it's yeah. just one of those, every time I got a jersey when I was a kid in high school, the player that I got ended up leaving. Like the next season it happened to Jeremy Shockey. I think it ended up happening to Plexico Burris. I was a little bit, you know, later on. I was out of high school at that point. But Jabril Wilson's five for me. 365 total tackles 
with the Giants. And I feel like you did a really good job breaking that down because Steve Spagnuolo does so many interesting and creative things with his safeties. You need a safety with the right frame. You need a safety with a lot of range who can play single high looks. And that's what Jabril Wilson did. But you need him to come down into the alley and make those tackles. That's one of the reasons why I love them so much was because he was really physical coming down. He was like a bat out of hell and he can make a lot of those tackles. Was, I don't know what his missed tackle rate was, but I can't imagine it was all that high because he was so damn reliable. And when he left for the Raiders, it sucked. I'm not sure if it was injury related. I wasn't really around at that time, but it just seemed like his career fell off a cliff. I felt like he was really promising when he was with the Giants. I'm not sure if this was injury related as well, but 14 tackles for a loss coming down from the safety position through four years with the New York Giants. That's pretty damn good. So yeah, from man. a tackling standpoint, yeah, right. From a ball production standpoint, Jabril Wilson had it all. And he was one of my favorite Giants when I was in high school. Such a good value pick there in round five. I mean, you get him, you get him in Boston in a span of three draft classes in the fifth round. That's tough to find any draft, like 20 years to find talent like that. So just great job scouting back then. And, you know, credit to Dave Gettleman. He was a big part of that scouting department at the time. True. I still feel like he, he was back then. He was that the game was so different, by the way, in 2004 and 2007 or, or yeah, oh four when they drafted Wilson in seven with boss, like so much was different. You still had like, I mean, you go back to the 2000 draft, the guy who didn't make my list, but could have, and he just missed it was Brandon Short, who You mentioned earlier round four pick 105th overall in 2000. Like that was the type of linebackers that were in the NFL, those short, stocky box linebackers. And like that, you know, you could draft so different. I know Gettleman had a couple hits during his during his GM time, but I felt like most of what he was doing was still a bit outdated from a general manager standpoint. Or when he tried to go, uh, you know, against the grain, and he would draft a player like De uh, Kadarius Tony or DeAndre Baker, he would really, you know, trying to, you know, put forward talent or skill positions, he would kind of go off the rails there and, and fall off there too. I still, I still feel like the best thing he he knew how to evaluate was trench play, especially on the defense side of the ball. I um, mean, and, and on the offensive side of the ball, Andrew Thomas is definitely a hit for him, but the game was so different. It's so interesting. To look back who was okay. That was eight and seven for me. Uh, Dribble Wilson and Kevin boss. Where are you at next in your ranking? I'm at seven and this is another Dave Gettleman selection and it's Darius Slayton. How okay. many players Dan have the giants drafted and never, they never made it to a second contract. That's been a huge topic of conversation for the last decade from the New York Giants. Yeah. Darius Slayton made it to a second contract, and I just love his story, as we've talked about all offseason. This is somebody who we thought was going to be cut in training camp, wouldn't make the 53-man roster. Luckily, he did. He had over 800 yards receiving just this past season, and he was the leading receiver. He was the only player who could really stretch a defense vertically. He had a huge role with the Giants. It kind of started in 2019. It. I don't want to say it. It fizzled, but we thought maybe he was going to be more of a consistent player. In 2019, he came out, he had, what, 740 yards, eight touchdowns, 48 catches as a fifth-round pick. I guess he fell to the fifth round because Auburn had such a crappy passing attack while he was there, but this is somebody who had 97th percentile broad jump, 93rd percentile vertical jump, and he ran in the four threes. He has big hands. It's just those concentration drops. And I'm not sure if that plagued him at Auburn, but it certainly plagued him 2020 and 2021 and a little bit in 2022 as well. And that's kind of been his biggest issue that he's had to overcome, but he comes in at seven for me, despite all of those issues, because he didn't reach a second contract. I know the Giants have sucked recently, but he's still been one of the prime contributors on an offense that has been anemic, but I still think this is a hit at in the fifth round at what pick coming out of Auburn. It was pick 183, and he's still only 26 yeah. years old as well. 
Yeah, it's a great call there for sure. And that was an excellent pick by the Giants. And you know, on this, for those listening to this podcast, you, you, you guys are well aware we are very high on Darius Slayton, at least first consensus. Um, for me, number six was Dehani Jones, uh, round six linebacker, 177th overall, only spent three seasons with the Giants, but then went on to play because he, you know, he had a great final season with the Giants in 2003 and signed a con and, and, and moved over to Philly. But he actually ended up playing 10 years in the NFL as a six-round pick. That is incredibly hard to do to play a decade of football in the NFL as a six-round pick. So it was obviously a massive steal. His last two seasons with the Giants, so his first year uh, in 2001, he he didn't start any games. But he started 20, uh, 30 games in his last two seasons with the Giants in 02 and 03. He had 202 tackles in 30 games. He had 18 tackles for loss in 30 games. I mean, he was all over the place. He was a mo- almost like a modern day linebacker type playing in the 2000s. And I just remember an early memory for me with the Honey Jones was just that, uh, you know, that Bob Shepard, the Honey Jones with the tackle. There was just so many tackles that 2003 and 2002 season, you know, 200 plus, you know, triple digits on an average. There's so much. You just kept hearing the Honey Jones with the tackle and that's just like an early memory for me again nick but um yeah so donnie jones made my list here as a player i wish the giants could have gotten more years out of but he was a a sixth on my list uh here we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's the only reason he's not on my list. And it pained me. It did because I was I was young when the Giants got Dahani Jones and he was one of the first defensive players that I was like, man, I love this guy. He's flying around. But then for four years, I had to watch him in an Eagles jersey. And that was when the Giants started getting competitive. And I would just see this guy flying around against the Giants. And then he even had a career with Cincinnati after that. So for those reasons, the fact that he was only a starter for two years with the Giants and only with the team for three, he didn't make my list. But I still think it was a huge value that the Giants got really late in the draft. And he's definitely superseded the expectations that he had being what was it a seventh round pick? I think it was sixth yeah, round, pick, round one, pick 177 overall. Let's get into the top five here. So for me, Nick, I want to get your take on this. But for me, 
I have a massive tier jump from the top five biggest draft steals to six through 10. Like there's just like the, the, it's like going from Mahomes to Tannehill right now for me, but I'm talking about these top five steals, not only in just the value they provided, but the value they provided for the Giants specifically. So I wonder if yours are the same. I know one won't be because he was, or two won't be actually, because they were second and third round picks, but I wonder if the other three are the same and where you have them ranked, but let's go with your fifth biggest draft steal right now. We already went over my fifth biggest draft steal. That oh, was yeah. Jabril Wilson. All right, let's get into your fifth then. All right, my fifth biggest draft steal will be higher on your list because you're not doing second, third round picks is Brandon Jacobs in round four, 110 overall, the 2005 draft. Let me tell you what I first remember about this pick, right? <laughs> I'm first sitting there and I'm starting to get really into the draft at this point, not to the point we're at now, but for, you know, being, what was I at that point? I was like, 15 years old. I was very into the draft here. And what I remember first about that pick, Nick, was how angry I was because just before the Brandon Jacobs pick, the Cowboys traded one pick out of the Giants, either one or two picks out of the Giants, and they drafted Marion Barber, who I freaking uh -huh. loved out of Minnesota. Marion Barbarian. I was watching Big Ten football then by that point because my dad went to Wisconsin. And I just remember Marion Barber. I was like, this dude is going to be the real deal in the NFL. He is freaking awesome, physical, explosive. And I was so angry. And then what it turned out to be was the greatest anger of my life because Brandon Jacobs had a much better career than Marion Barber. I'm not, no, no, no offense to Barber. He was good until he got hurt and the, those. But Brandon Jacobs at the time, I'll never forget this. It was early analytics days. There was no pro football focus, but there was football outsiders. And football outsiders created something that was so simple, but yet at that point, so predictive. And it was something called speed score. And it essentially just took up, just made a mathematical equation out of a running back's weight and speed and 40 yard dash. Just put those two things together and then found all these hits. And Brandon Jacobs at that time, I'm going to look it up now. I am pretty sure. Let's see if it, let's see if I'm right about this, but I'm pretty sure as I talk about this, let's just see, let's just see. Oh, I don't have it on here, but I'm pretty sure he was 260 pounds. And he ran a four, four somewhere in the four, four is a two, six. You can correct me on that. If you remember Nick, but that was the ultimate. He became the ultimate got the pay, the poster boy of speed score for football outsiders, the greatest speed score ever. And you know what? It translated to the NFL because Brandon Jacobs ended up playing 30, or I'm sorry, 109 games, not all with the giants, but 109 games, over 5,000 rushing yards, 60 rushing touchdowns. 743 receiving yards, four receiving touchdowns. Um, just one of the better memories, one of the better players for the Giants. He came in a draft class that ended up being an amazing class, despite them only having four total picks in that class. Uh, that class, three of the players drafted in that class made my top 10 biggest draft skills class, all from the 2005 class. But yes, Brandon Jacobs comes in for me at number five. Brandon Jacobs is number three for okay. me. And I don't know if the Giants get past the Green Bay Packers without Brandon Jacobs. And it was a four, five, six, by the way, at six foot four, 264 pounds. Ooh. So Brandon Jacobs went to Southern Illinois. And I know that's just insane. But let's not forget, he was at Auburn with Ronnie Brown and Cardell Williams. Like Auburn landed Brandon Jacobs and he couldn't really find the football field. So he ends up going to freaking Southern Illinois. It's not like he went to like Tennessee or another SEC school that was a little bit smaller. It goes to Southern freaking Illinois. And I think that was such a huge reason why the Giants were able to get him at pick 110 in the fourth round of the 2005 NFL draft. I don't know if something like that happens nowadays. I think maybe now we're a little bit onto stuff like that. But the Giants ended up getting a value out of a smaller school for a for a prospect coming out of high school that was much more highly regarded. Ended up going to Auburn, which is a huge powerhouse in the SEC. Circle back to the Green Bay game. It's frigid. 
in Green Bay. Plexico Burris is burning Al Harris. But when you have the opportunity to give the football to Brandon Jacobs and he's running over Charles Woodson and he's picking up the yardage like he did in the Super Bowl on the fourth and one, it especially in the cold, like in Green Bay, it really puts just something in the mind of the defenders. Like, I really got to tackle this four, five, six, 264 pound running back. Are you kidding me? And yes, they had to. And it wasn't easy for them at all, man. This is one of the biggest, most painful running backs to tackle in recent memory. And he's somebody, like you said, who can just run past linebackers and even cut off the angles of safeties at times, especially once he got going. He was like a freaking locomotive. So one of my favorite players of all time is Brandon Jacobs, and he ends up coming in, making my list. Eight years with the Giants, spent one year with the 49ers. We can forget that, but had over 5,000 yards rushing, 60 rushing touchdowns as a New York Giant with 82 receptions for 743 yards, four receiving touchdowns, averaged 4.5 yards per carry in his career with the New York football Giants. Just absolutely love watching that guy. I wish I had a chance to cover him. Yeah. And something you mentioned in there that I hear that I uh, read in the Tom Coughlin book uh, from Greg Hanlon. I, I have that somewhere, but not behind me anymore. And something I hear for a lot of coaches that, you know, we, we often get, I don't know if we miss it anymore, Nick, but it's just like, we don't talk about it as much because the game has changed so much, but that factor, that physicality factor that you just brought up, like in cold frigid conditions, when you are lining up play after play and it's the third quarter, it's the fourth quarter. And you have this 265 pounder coming down at f- with four or five speed running at you. And he was not, it's not like Brandon Jacobs danced around. He went forward a lot. He got vertical a lot and went, like yeah. you said, he ran over Charles Woodson. That's like the one people remember the most. Um, but he had multiple of that. I remember one was against the the, the roided up guy from Washington, Landry. That was the one that stood out to me. A lar- what was his name? Lamarcus Land or not? Dewan was it? Dewan Landry? Landry. Yeah, maybe it was Dewan Landry. I don't know. But um, you know that physicality factor that can win you football games because teams will get. It's not that teams will give up, but it's like you, you can feel it when you're getting the edge there from a physical factor. And back then, football was played on a, a yeah. lot more in the run game as well, too. So he played an even bigger role, I think, during the time period he came out in, which was kind of like the early 2000s. Loved Brandon Jacobs. And I actually have another running back coming up here in a little okay. bit. But yes, it's uh, Maud Bradshaw, who ends up being my fourth on the list. So he okay. comes in right behind. And again, I know he was a se- uh, seventh round pick and everything like that. And I think that's an awesome story in and of itself. But I still think Brandon Jacobs might have had just a little bit more to his career. He was more productive, had more yards and things of that nature than Ahmad Bradshaw. So I kind of didn't really factor in the fact that one's a fourth round pick, one's a seventh round pick. But regardless of that fact, Ahmad Bradshaw with the New York Giants, six years, just over 4,200 yards, 32 touchdowns, had 132 catches for over a thousand yards with three receiving touchdowns. And we saw early in 2007. I mean, this guy spent 2007 to 2012 with the Giants, two time Super Bowl champ, right? In 2007, I think I brought it up a little bit earlier. It was that Bills game where he had that long run in the snow where we're like, oh crap, this guy can play as well. And then he also was just a factor as the playoffs kind of went on. But as the seasons progressed, like 2008, 2009, this is somebody who always, he didn't start these games, but he always had a significant role. He was a factor in the game plan as a receiver and even in pass protection sometimes. And this is a seventh round pick. Again, another player who was talented. I think he was a transfer into Marshall as well. I think he had some maybe trouble that he got into, ended up going to Marshall. The Giants ended up benefiting from it because he was a really damn good football player. And even after he left the Giants and spent those three seasons with the Colts, I still remember him having an impact with a young Andrew Luck. So Ma Bradshaw to me, man, getting him in the seventh round, that was one of the biggest steals, but he comes in at four. 
Yeah, he came in at number two for me, a little ahead of Brandon Jacobs. So just, I think, first of all, I if I remember correctly, Nick, he stole some Xboxes and got caught stealing some Xboxes or an Xbox or something. This just shows how, like, for how long ago this was in 2007, like, Xbox was a thing and people were, like, stealing Xboxes. Virginia or Virginia, Virginia Tech? Virginia was, I was going to say Virginia. Almost positive it was Virginia. I got it might have been Virginia Tech, now that I think about it. It was one of so those. Much, two, you know, I, people are listening to us right now. Like, you dumb idiot! You cover the Giants. How do you not know? <laughs> I think it was. I'm pretty sure it was Virginia. But obviously, that was a big reason and factor to why he fell in the draft. But to me, the reason he comes in at two ahead of like Jacobs at five, for example, is the fact that they got him in 250th overall, straight up. I mean, you just don't see round seven picks meaning anything for the most part. Almost every single round seven pick busts or quote-unquote, but I wouldn't call it a bust, doesn't make the roster, let alone make an impact. But Ahmad Bradshaw not only made the roster, he made an incredible impact. Bradshaw, for, for me, is one of my favorite Giants ever. I have a, We should do that at one point, rank our favorite Giants ever. From oh, just a, I love like, that. Yeah, just from like a love standpoint. like doesn't have to be the best Giants ever, but he would be in, easily in my elite tier one top five. The way he played football, that little that the way he ran his style his aggressiveness how vertical he the way he got vertical like he was 250 pounds but he wasn't the low center of gravity his toughness the play he made i mean for god's sake the play he made to save the soup the first super bowl when the giants fumbled the football and he should have never had that football. Vince Wilfork fell on the football. They have a scrum, and somehow yeah. Ahmad Bradshaw comes out of the scrum with the football against Vince Wilfork. I still don't to this day know how that even happened or how it's even quite frankly possible, but it did. It did happen, and it saved the Super Bowl. Like The Giants probably don't win that Super Bowl, in my opinion. That's the score is going to be different. The momentum is going to be different. I think the Patriots would have the ball in the Giants' scoring position. Like Everything would have changed if he doesn't recover that football. Uh, obviously, you can even go back a few games before that, that Buffalo game when he breaks off that 80-plus yard run to basically win that game, touchdown run. That season might be different if that doesn't happen. They might not make the playoffs if they don't win that game. They might not win that game if he doesn't have that 80-yard run. So my Bradshaw, for me, had more m moments like that over Jacobs, which is why I put him there for sure, but also just finding any kind of player at 250 overall in the seventh round is just so hard to do. And I know the reason they got him was because the off-field stuff, but you take that chance, it pays off, and the funny thing is, he's an incredible character person. Like, it's like, yeah, he stole an Xbox at one point in his life, whatever. He's that's That happened once, and, like, I'm sure he was a young kid, 18 years old, you know, and he's made a mistake. It's so like, stupid, dude. So I, I pulled it up right here, and I'm sorry I cut you off, but yeah, it was no, Virginia, and he showed up at Charlottesville for practice, and he got caught underage drinking, and that's, I think, the primary reason he got kicked okay. off, according to Wikipedia, which obviously never lies. And you want to know the coach who kicked him off was Al Groh, Mike Groh, the current Giants wide receiver coach's father. Wow. And was there anything about an Xbox or did I misremember? It doesn't that? say that on Wikipedia, yeah. but I remember that as well. Something to do with Xbox. Something to do with Xbox. Xbox was a big thing back then, right? Like everyone yeah. wanted an Xbox. I'm not even sure if the three, no, 360 probably wasn't even out when this guy went to college. So, yeah, that was number two for me, Bradshaw. He was four for you. Four for me, since you already did your four, was uh, for me, it's OCU Minora. So 56 overall. Look, it's an early pick. It's hard to call that a steal unless you take a look at it and say, how many times do we find, you know, I, I don't know if he'll make the Hall of Fame. I think he's borderline and deserves it for some reasons about to go over. But how many times do we find elite pass rushers at anywhere near 56 overall? It is so rare. You can find running backs, elite running backs, elite guards. You can find elite linebackers at these range like you know fred warner was was taken somewhere in the 60s but to find an edge there it is not easy to do and the giants did it with ocu Minora. it was an interesting pick 
out of Troy. They they took a gamble on the traits at 6'3, 255. But that get off, man, he had 85 career sacks and 35 forced fumbles. That's insane production numbers. He ended up playing 11 years in the NFL, but just have 85 sacks. And obviously, the six sack game against the Eagles is the one that stands out the most to me, just because it was, in my opinion, the best effort and the most dominant performance I've ever seen by a Giants player, with the exception of maybe some of the OBJ games. It has to be the most dominant performance I've ever, and maybe Eli in San Francisco in 2011, because that was just insane. But one of the most dominant performances ever to have a six sack game, just crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. Had two or three seasons with the Giants of double digit sacks, had a torn meniscus and missed an entire season in OA and still came back and had a 18 and a half sacks over the next oh no sorry let's take a bit even further 28 sacks over the next three years with the Giants after that including one of those was the Super Bowl 2011 season 10 forced fumbles in a season once in 2010 which is absolutely insane to have like I don't know if I've ever seen it edge have, have double digit forced fumbles so OC to me to get him at that point and the, the fun the most fun thing about OC to me is the memory of the idea that if we didn't have Ernie Acorsi, if we just had, I think, honestly, if we had like Dave Gettleman run the shots, because again, I want to give Gettleman his credit for scouting. He had some good years scouting with the Giants, found him Andrew Thomas, Dexter Lawrence. Good job. You had four draft classes with a million picks in the first <laughs> top 10 overall. But he know. was not a good negotiator, Dave Gettleman. He was not a good trader. He was not a savvy GM. He was not someone who was going to get something over. But so if he was the GM at the time of that Eli Manning trade, I think OCM in Europe never has his Giants career. The Giants maybe never win Super Bowl because the Tom Telesco at the time, or wasn't Tom Telesco, um, what was the guy before him who everyone hated, uh, the Chargers GM during 2004s before Telesco. Um, damn it. Why am I forgetting this AJ guy's Smith? name? AJ Smith. Yeah. He wanted OCM and Yorin that deal. He was gung ho on getting OCM and And of course, he said, We are not making this trade if OCM and Yorin is in that trade. And at the time, OCM and Yorin had not broken out yet. It was a good scouting play by the Chargers and even better by a because he was like, This is a talent that I need to develop here. And I am not letting him go with that kind of get off, that kind of length, that ability to just get the football out of the quarterback's hand for a force fumble. And so he kept OCM and Yorin in that trade. They ended up instead trading picks. Um, Giants and and finding a way to kind of make that deal work with Eli Manning for Rivers and because of that you know I'll always have a, a place in my heart for Ernie Corsi more than even I already had. Yeah, Ernie Corsi is the man. Uzi Manure is just one of the from a value standpoint the way you're constructing this list. Then yes, I agree with you. The things he was able to do and just the rotation the Giants had with Strahan and Tuck once they all started maturing and coming into their game it was just an insane rotation of pass rushers that would be hard for the New York Giants to replicate although I would say they have two young guys who I think are nice building blocks to that they definitely need to find a third because OC was very special for those of you who are newer to the podcast and by newer I mean maybe have only listened the last year year and a half two years Go check out the feed because we did a podcast with OC and a few years back, which was really fun. We talked a lot about we talked about, you know, the Giants at the time as well, which is not relevant now. But we also talked a lot about his years with the Giants and he had some really fun stories in there and just some good stuff to talk about. So check it out. It's probably about like a year and a half, two years ago, but we interviewed OC back then. So it's a fun listen for Giants fans for sure. Since he's been on one time, he's an acquaintance of the podcast. He yeah. needs to come on again to become a full fledged friend. Always welcome, OC, if you're listening. It'd be a huge accomplishment in his already illustrious career. Yeah. All right, let's go on to my number two. Yeah. Dan, my number two, and this is one of the reasons why I prefaced everything by saying I took liberties. Because okay. I understand how these lists are constructed. I put David Tyree as my number two. And I understand David Tyree is going to be remembered very fondly among New York Giants fans. But he was not a receiver 
that dominated the NFL, like many people expect for individuals to make this list. Six round pick, 211 overall, New Jersey guy out of Syracuse, who, in my opinion, and in many Giants fans' opinions, had the greatest moment in New York Giants football history was one of the reasons why that play happened. That's just how great that play was. He was maybe half of it or not even half of it. So you got to talk about the offensive line. You got to talk about Eli Manning. Like there's so many things, but he was the recipient to that catch. Also had a touchdown catch earlier in that game. The fact that the Giants don't win that Super Bowl if he doesn't secure that football somehow with a Pro Bowl Hall of Fame safety on his back, just an incredible moment in Super Bowl history, arguably the greatest moment in Super Bowl history as well, especially when you think about what the New England Patriots were in 2007. You have this six-round pick be the primary reason why that drive is extended on third and five. If Eli Manning is sacked too, I mean, you're fourth and what, 12, and you're just absolutely screwed. So Eli is huge in that play. But just because of that moment, and he was a great special teamer as well, if we want to bring that up. But just because of that moment, I had to put him at two. And I understand that the uh, maybe he's not the best value. It's hard to say, man. Do the Giants win the Super Bowl if it wasn't for David Tyree in that play? And I think uh, for that reason, I wanted to put him high and, and give my tip of the cap. So that's why I said that I had to preface everything with the liberties because it is a little inconsistent with the rest of the, our lists. Yeah, but it makes sense. And arguably, if not, not even arguably, he's the best special teams player I've ever seen in Giants history from following this team. So he offered that as obviously as well. But obviously the, the catch will be remembered for sure forever to David Terry. Um, I didn't go over my number three. So I already did two with Ahmad Bradshaw. My number three, and I, I think we probably both have the same number one, um, but my number three was Justin Tuck, 70th overall, 70th overall, round three. You just don't find players like Justin Tuck in round three. I mean, here, look, OCM Nero had more sacks in his career than Tuck, more forced fumbles. But in my mind, and no offense to OC, I love them both, I think Tuck was the better player because Justin Tuck played the run so well. OC played the run well as too, but not at the level of Justin Tuck. And Justin Tuck had more position versatility. They lined him up on the inside before we ever really saw defensive ends start to shift into the inside and play that three technique. And he did a good job of that as well. But overall, just that two-way game for an edge to be able to play, to, to rush the passer, but also impact the run game the way he did, that's why he's up there for me. And he would be my number three. Nine years with the New York Giants, 60 and a half sacks, just an absolute beast. 18 forced fumbles. Justin Tuck was awesome, dude. And going into 2007, it was like he had a lot of injuries, and, and he, I think he only really operated right. on special teams. Like, this guy could be really good. I remember him at Notre Dame. He was a really solid football player, and then he just freaking hit his stride. I remember listening to sports radio. I think the Super Bowl MVP could be Justin Tuck. Watch out for that name. And he ends up sacking Tom Brady to end the second. Bro, he might be the Super yeah. Bowl MVP, but obviously Eli Manning ends up getting it rightfully so. Yep. All right. Number one, the biggest draft steal the Giants have had since 2000. I assume it's the same player, but you can go first. I texted Dan before I, we came on this podcast. Like, I think we're going to have the same number one. And he was like, ah, I don't know about that. But I know how Dan thinks, and he's correct. It's David Deal. David yeah. Deal is the number one steal since 2000. This is a fifth round pick, 160 overall back in 2003. Somebody who just was 
an absolute stalwart on the offensive line. You need him to play left guard, he can do it. You need him to play left tackle, he can do it. A two-time Super Bowl champion with 160 starts out of 164 games active with the New York Giants from 2003 to 2013. Because he's an offensive line. He doesn't get as much adulation as some of the other players that maybe we have discussed. He doesn't have the stats to back it up because he's an offensive lineman. But holy crap, dude, to get this guy that late in the draft and him be that reliable on two Super Bowl teams, it's hard to find somebody that impactful for your team. And now he covers the Giants. And I love listening to him talk as well. So David Deal to me is, is one of the best, man. Right tackle and right guard too. I remember, I forgot. He started his career as a right tackle and right guard and ended it as a right tackle and a right guard. And in between, he was a left guard and a left tackle. That type of versatility, you just don't see it that often anymore. Left tackle for a Super Bowl team, by the way. That's yeah. even for a Super Bowl winning team. Yeah, you nailed it here. Look, anyone who's listening to this podcast knows how much we value the offensive line. <laughs> so... I'm going to put this position over a running back, over an edge even for me, or, or on par with an edge, over a linebacker, over a safety, over a tight end, the other positions I've mentioned so far, over a defensive tackle. Because to me, it matters more in the NFL. And so when you have that kind of lengthy career, including a Super Bowl, starting on a Super Bowl winning team at 160th overall in round five, it's insane to me. David Deal did something you just don't see from offensive linemen very often at all, let alone in Giants history. Yes, there's been Sean O'Hara. He was a he was not drafted by the Giants. Yes, there's been Chris Snee. Well, you took Chris Snee early in the draft. Like that's when you get a Chris Snee type. You get him early. David Deal, you got him late at 160th overall. So to me, Deal is the undoubted, undoubted number one draft steal by far for the Giants. All right, Nick, let's wrap this up by just going over our top 10 lists again real quick. I'll run mine down and you can run yours down. For me, the biggest draft steal in Giants, uh, for Giants since 2000, David Deal, round five, 160 overall, 2003 draft class. Number two, Ahmad Bradshaw, round seven, 250 overall, 2007 draft class. Number three, Justin Tuck, round three, 70th overall, 2005 draft class. Number four, OCU Manura. Round two, 56th overall, 2003 draft class. Number five, Brandon Jacobs, round four, 110, 2005. Dahani Jones, number six for me, round six, 177, 2000. Kevin Boss, number seven for me, round five, 153 in 2007 class. Jabril Wilson, round five pick, one uh, round five, 136 overall in 2004. Then Barry Cofield, round four, 124th overall, 2006. Then finally, Corey Webster, round two, 43rd overall in 2006. For me, it starts with David Deal as well. And remember, I only did third round or fourth round, seventh round. David Tyree comes in at number two. Brandon Jacobs, number three. Ahmad Bradshaw, number four. Jabril Wilson, number five. Barry Cofield, number six. Darius Slayton, number seven. Kevin Boss, number eight. Julian Love, number nine. And then Reggie Torbor, number 10. Nice. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed that little blast from the past, the walk down Giants memory lane. If you did, let us know. If you want to hear more content on this, let us know. We're probably going to do a best draft, a biggest bust since 2000, just for the fun of it, to go back over. And that, that'll be a sadder podcast to, to walk back and talk about the, the players like Eric Flowers and Eli Apple. But until then, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. 
you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.